Welcome back to a brand new season of Blamo. Let me just start by saying it's been so much fun to interact and hear from you all over the past few months. In an effort to bring you the best talks and the best possible show, I'm going to break Blamo out into seasons. This week marks the beginning of season two, and I'm very privileged to have Andrew Chen of 316 and Self Edge on the show. Andrew talks about the origins of 316 and how the brand went from making streetwear to becoming one of the best denim brands in the United States. Let's do it. Lightning round. <laughs> Welcome. So I'm with Andrew Chen of 316, of Self Edge. And Andrew is like a great mentor, a good friend. And I've known Andrew for a long time because when I came in the store, they were like, oh, how do you know him? And I was like, uh, I met him like, I don't know, like eight years ago. Were you ago? like fools? I've been in the store before you've ever been in the store? <laughs> no. Did you tell him that? No. I don't want to be that guy. You, I, I the, wanted to. This, sto- this story <laughs> is, you know, made, lightweight, made the rounds on the internet a few times just because Moy would, John Moy, um, yep. would, would just see fit to insert it into random four pins write ups. Yeah. Just be like, I was inside Self Edge before Self Edge was Self Edge. That's true. It was. But you to me have always been like you're the uh, the perfect example of someone who had a dream in menswear and started a business and has like actually made a long-standing career in the business that's also like stayed alive through bs trends and i mean because you know we'll get into this but like this was never you know you didn't just you had a job and stuff way before this right yes i had a uh pretty well paying pretty decently paying job um, I was in IT consulting for almost seven years out of college. Right. And uh, 316 popped up as a a little thing to have fun with uh, about three or four years into that job. And so what, what year is this in which you're like, hey, I want to start a, a denim brand? Uh, well, it didn't start out as denim. Oh, that's right. Because yeah, you, yeah, yeah. you, you were uh, five panel hats and streetwear. T- graphic, lots of graphic t-shirts. Five panel hats, eventually sweatshirts, some of the all over printed variety. Nice. Um, and then fall of, so this was, that was 2003 when we started. And fall of 2008, I think, is when we launched our first full collection. And that was button down shirts, sweatshirts, jackets. Yeah. Um, and our first pair of jeans. Right. And that's, and now primarily you're known as, as a, uh, denim company and workwear and yeah we're we're definitely gene focused now um right. I, I think we we ended up cutting the rest of the collection just to focus on jeans in 2010 right so we've been making predominantly jeans for the past six years and that was probably i met you in like 2009 or 10 it must have been 2009 yeah we were still we were still in collection Right. I remember this was around the time, I, I think we did a couple capsule shows, and that season, that was market week. That's remember, right. you guys went to capsule at the Angel Orange Sand Center, <laughs> oh, um, yeah. and that's right around the corner from us, and uh, we, were, we were showing in our new office, which was behind what was going to turn into Self-Edge New York. The shop was getting built out. Right. Um, this would have been July, right? It was a summer show. It was July. Because we opened at the end, we, the shop opened at the end of July, and I basically commandeered the back area of the store that didn't exist yet. There was brown craft paper all over our windows, and I put these little pieces of paper out front saying "Three Sixteen, you know, whatever season it was." This way for yeah. Three Sixteen, <laughs> and you had to knock on this door, walk into the, this very sus, you know, entrance, and uh, we were in the back and showing our new samples. Right, and because. So I was with Moy, and we kind of came to because I think you had met Moy beforehand via the internet and stuff, and uh, he was like, "Hey, let's go see this guy. He's really cool." And I think I had like tweeted at you or something before, but we basically came to you for advice. Like, <laughs> I remember we were like, "Hey, we're thinking about starting a clothing brand," and you were like, "How much time do you got?" <laughs> <laughs> I mean, and you very politely were just like, this is not easy. And there's a lot of, you know, you may not get it right on your first time. And it takes a lot of work and it'll take more money than what you think. And 
you know, and obviously... Real talk, though, I think you guys experienced more success than maybe you initially had anticipated. Maybe you, I don't know, maybe you you thought you would do even better than you did, but um, you guys made some shirts. Yeah. You guys uh, designed some custom makes up with Mark McNary. Yeah. Um, did you do anything Mon Italy? Yes. Yes. Yeah, we so, did the first Mon Italy... Uh, yeah, one of the first Mon Italy winter collections from that time. You yeah. guys did it completely street. I don't think anybody knew how this happened. Yeah. But the way that you guys went about it and you just walked up, you're like, we just want to make some stuff. And people said, yes, like, that's sick. Yeah. Um, but my point is that it, maybe you guys encountered more success than you had anticipated. Uh, a lot of people have a hard time. Ask around. It's hard to make something that people want to buy, period. It, it is. And I, I think, you know, and we can get into this a little bit later on the pod on, on how people you know care about quality but this was right around the time where it was you know so it's recession time and it's all about um buy less buy better cuz i remember we were talking and you would get pushback occasionally about the price of your jeans because you know i think people at that time were used to what was it omc or whatever it was around the corner it was like they're like comparing you to like levi's cheap jeans and you know and this is like i mean this is so this is (laughs) i remember the day yeah yeah, yeah. you know and i think you know you had this a little bit of a challenge to explain to people what selvage was and why this you know and that these were made in japan and how this stuff fades over time but it was more of like don't buy five pairs of crappy jeans you know buy you know a pair of 316 jeans right you know and so i that's some of the stuff i want to get into and we can go back to this of like you're in IT consulting. It's like 2007 or 8, you said, that you go into 316. And this was with your partner, Johan? No, Johan wasn't actually my first partner. I had another partner that I started the company with. Oh, and okay. we parted ways. And But Johan was involved since the beginning. Right. Um, we had met at... Um, it's going to sound like a romantic love story, whatever. We met at a wedding. Oh. And, uh, <laughs> and we hit it off. Um, and uh, he, his, basically his uh, oldest sister married my best friend from college, and we were both groomsmen. Nice. And we were both into streetwear. We kind of hit it off on that, on, on that topic to, to start with, and we stayed in touch. Just kind of like shoot emails back and forth, see what he, each other was up to. And so when I decided to start 316, I reached out to him right away. I was like, I'm doing this thing. You know, <laughs> nobody knew where it was going, but just making t-shirts. Yeah. Um, do you want to be a part of it? And and he was excited. And I think at the time he was starting his freshman year at, at uh, USC. And so he says, you know what? You don't have any presence on the West Coast. I can, you know, represent the brand and go to events and just help out, right. spread the word. And he did. And he helped us out for three years. And when I'd parted ways with my, my first uh, business partner, he was uh, graduating from college. Oh, okay. Yeah, and he and and I, I don't You're know, like, bro. You want a gig? Yeah, I don't. I don't know. I've, I'm, I'm sure. I'm sure a lot of people can speak to this. But when you meet somebody that you know is like dialed, um, and you want to be able to work with them for a long time, you just uh, you don't want to miss that opportunity. So I told him, "Are you interested? You know, I I need I need a partner." And uh, he had he had other job offers. He had pretty good job offers. Yeah, I mean, it's um, a good school come out of yeah and uh you know i'm I'm pretty thankful that he chose to stick around um so yeah he he, he came on board full-time i would i guess it was 2006 and then i quit my quit my job in january of 2007 what was were you married at the time yeah so what pretty, was pretty pretty newly married yeah what was that like when you talk to your wife and you say hey i'm gonna leave this you know well-paying gig and i'm gonna i'm pretty sure yeah. it started the conversation started off with uh look i know this is not what you signed up for <laughs> um but she knew she knew um leaving my job in consulting had a lot to do with traveling every week mm. and uh maybe some people are built for that but i certainly wasn't i'd done it for probably a year or two before we'd gotten married and then I continued to travel the first year of our marriage. And uh, when you leave on a Sunday and you come home on a Thursday, you don't get to spend time with your wife or oh, your geez. friends. Yeah, There's zero continuity in your life. You're just living out of a suitcase. You get home, you do laundry, and then you kind of gear up to do it again. 
and then you want to hang out with other people. But honestly, everybody kind of has moved on and has their own things going on. They've made plans and um, it, it was tough. It was tough on me both before and after marriage. Right. So a big part of me wanting to leave was wanting to leave that lifestyle behind. But thankfully, we had this fun project, which had started to make some money, you know, be, uh, you know, going, going a good direction. And uh, it wasn't enough to pay me a salary. Right. And, and I told my wife that and she knew and she said, uh, OK, um, you know, you, we can give this a try for a year. <laughs> it ended up being a lot more than a year. Yeah. Um, but yeah, she believed in it. And, and, and uh, I don't think I would have done it had she not kind of given me that push. Yeah, I think a lot of people don't talk about how important it is to have the support from other people to do something that you really care about. Whether it's like starting a business or you know, or just staying in your current one. I mean, I, I think it's it's so important these days to at least have somebody else, whether it's like a friend or a significant other, to come alongside and be like, it's okay. You know, like, whatever happens, we'll figure it out. And yeah, or, or to say it's not okay anymore. <laughs> <laughs> True, yeah. I mean, if you're, you know, if you're killing yourself and what you're doing and, yeah. Or if you're just becoming self-destructive or destructive towards others. And there was a point in time where... Dark days of Andrew Chen? There were plenty of dark days. Um, it, it wasn't easy. It, it definitely was not easy. There were not, you know, not even days. There were weeks of, of sleepless nights at times. You know, we were self-funded. We still are self-funded. And, and when you care about the people that you work with and you take it seriously when you're not able to pay a bill on time um, because you know who it is and uh, how it affects them, too, it's right. tough. It's tough. Um, yeah. But... For my wife and I, I think I took, I ended up taking my first paycheck pretty, maybe a couple months before our first son was born. Okay. And what, think, what year is this, if you don't mind? Oh, man. This was Logan? Yeah, this was Logan. And, uh, and he's almost six now. Okay. So I've been, I've been earning money at 316 for six years now. But, um, nice. Yeah. Yeah. I, I'm, and I think, this is definitely not to brag or anything, but I think last year was the first time that I had um, finally matched what what I used to earn at my old job. Congratulations. Which is, I don't know, money is definitely not why we do this. I can promise you that. There are plenty of things that both Johan and I and everybody who works at 316 could also be doing. Right. Um, but as a man and as a, you know, just as a, a partner in our household, I want to be able to contribute. Yeah. And I think that that was one of my earlier struggles when I was working at, you know, on 316, but not being able to contribute to my family. And uh, yeah, with kids, it's, it's another level, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I think we have a different perspective on parenting than, than, than some others do. Um, I don't think our, our sole goal um, as parents is to exist and give our kids a super comfortable life. That's not our focus. We give them everything that they need and more. Like they have, they have a sick childhood. They they do great. Don't your kids wear cool bape shoes? They do. Uh, yeah, I, I haven't gotten them sneakers yet, but but we I, I mean, buy them t-shirts. Cool. Yeah, cool I, I buy them bape t-shirts. Yo, Johan picks them up for them this last trip. That's awesome. Um, so we really do take care of them. But I mean, I, my wife and I have talked a lot about this, and right, and I think that part of raising kids um, to become you know, independent thinkers and passionate people as well. We want them to be excited and passionate about whatever it is that they get into is to see that they have parents that are also passionate. And uh, if that means that we can't save up um, their entire college tuition by the time they they head off, which is going to be crazy expensive if you think about it. Yeah. um, I'm okay with that. I think that that's, that should be okay. I mean, there's, there's a sense of, uh, at least from like coming from my my family, and I I won't make this about me in the slightest, but you know oh, we won't par- make it about you eventually. <laughs> no, <laughs> my parents uh, didn't really have the money to send me to school or, or anything like that, but they also really kind of uh, impressed this attitude upon me where if you really want to do something and you care about it, you can do it. You just need to work at it. 
It wasn't like the whole millennial BS of you can do anything you want, just believe in yourself. It was like, this is going to be hard. This is going to take work, whatever it is you want to do. But, you know, there are resources out there that will help you with this and we can help guide you to that. And I think like that's that's okay. I mean, I have some friends and this is no like shade being thrown at them in which everything that they ever needed in terms of financial and physical stuff, cars or whatever, was there. And in some ways, you know, maybe because of other things that were happening in their life, this work ethic and this idea of, um, well, it's okay because, you know, this person will save me, dad will save me, mom will save me, and that you, in some ways, you don't get to appreciate some stuff as much, um, you know, but also speaking from my point of view, it can be the polar opposite effect in which, you know, I've definitely wrestled with like mass consumerism because yeah. I could finally afford it. And I was like, yeah, I can afford it. Now I'm going to buy this. <laughs> give me jeans. You know, <laughs> like, give me those. So I don't know, but I, I don't, I won't get too deep uh, in terms of some of this stuff, but denim is one of the big things I wanted to ask you about. Yeah. Denim is going to, is going to pay for some of my kids' college tuition, which is sick. Right. And um, how, how did you get into like basically going and going to a business in which, in my opinion, is crazy competitive? You know, um, I, I credit Johan with directing our brand towards denim. Um, we, back in, I guess it was 2006 at this point, mm-hmm. we're like full on making graphic t-shirts, selling them to boutiques all across the country, all across the world. Um, the economy's doing great. Um, people are opening shops up left and right in these small little towns that you've never even heard of. Right. And uh, we're moving units. We're doing well. And uh, one of the shops that we started working with is, uh, or was in San Mateo in California. It was a shop called Turf. And they had a Nike account and they carried, you know, all the, you know, highly desired streetwear brands um, owned by a guy named Brian Walsworth. Right. And uh, his partner was Kia Babzani. Right. Kia is now, um, together with his wife, Demetra, um, owner of, you know, all the self-edge stores. And he had just opened up San Francisco around this time, um, the first one. And it was really, along with Blue and Green here in New York City, the first of its kind in that it specialized in high-end Japanese denim, you know, with a, you know, American reproduction perspective on it. Yeah. Basically um, how denim was made in the... 40s, 50s, 60s. In a very simplified manner, yes. Yeah. Um, it, it it was it wasn't a Japanese fashion denim per no. se, right? It, it was fabric is is uh, woven on old shuttle looms and uh, sewn, and you know the cuts and everything with with great attention to detail to the way that jeans used to be made. And uh, Kia was the first shop in America to bring all the brands that he'd stocked and these are still brands that we carry in the shop today mm-hmm. iron heart flathead, flathead sugarcane yeah you know um and so ha- when the shop had opened i remember johan telling me like yeah i went to this shop kia's new store it was sick um i bought a pair of uh samurai jeans and i was like oh cool i've never heard of them how much are they he's like 300 bucks and you have to understand <laughs> $300 was far beyond my comprehension of what jeans could or should cost. Yeah. Um, I didn't really grow up buying uh, diesel jeans or anything like that. So I don't think that at that point, I, had a, I hadn't even crossed the $100 threshold. Right. You know, Levi's here and there, and, and that was really pretty much it. Because diesel was probably, diesel and maybe Helmet Lang were some of the first denim brands. Premium. Yeah. 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 Very expensive. Two, two, two-ish, I think, Yeah, is what they were at. Yeah. Um, and even earlier, if I was to go further back, there were kids in uh, high school that would wear Jabot jeans and those were not cheap either. But oh. I, you know, I never, I grew up wearing hand-me-downs. I never really, um, got to experience, um, that I remember if I, if I was to ask my mom, she would, she never hit me, but she probably <laughs> would have. <laughs> um, yeah. so anyways, I start learning about this. Um, I remember on our old website, Johan's like, I want to interview Kia and talk to him about why Self-Edge exists and uh, what it's about. And he did. And we put this interview on our website. I don't know who read it or didn't. I kind of wish that I still had it. Um, no internet archive? No. I just I think a hard drive crashed or some crap. Oh, but um, oh well. 
It was a good interview. It was interesting, and it, it opened my eyes up to it. Still never having visited the store myself. And uh, slowly became more interested. And uh, when we developed our line um, and we were thinking about head-to-toe collection, it only made sense to produce a raw salvage gene. We weren't interest, interested in doing a wash. We sourced denim from Kaihara in, 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 uh, in Japan. And uh, originally... We were going to have it sewn overseas, but there were so many logistical problems. And this is a trend that will actually carry itself forward into the rest of our collection over time is that we moved production over to the U.S. not because it was trendy, but because it was it, it made sense for us. Mm-hmm. Um, minimums were lower and we could visit the factories that we were working with. Right. Um, and it just it made all the difference for us. And uh, yeah, so that was our first gene, the SL100X. It was a straight leg, modern straight leg, uh, with a little bit of taper. Um, no back pocket embroideries. It was really clean. Um, we wanted to make a gene that we felt like could fit into a lot of different wardrobes. And it would start out the same, right? Every gene starts out looking exactly the same, but as you beat it up and wear it in, it becomes yours. And uh, that gene is still in our lineup today. Yeah. So. And. I know that, I mean, we're sitting, when I came through here, I actually came through Self-Edge. So was there, how did, I mean, did you partner up with Kia at one point? Yeah, so this is where everything kind of hit warp speed. We released the collection in the fall of 2008. And at the time, our office was across the street from where we are now. It was at 151 Allen Street. Right. Um, And uh, it's also a ground level space. And Johan and I had this very, I guess, idealistic view that, you know, oh, we could actually do something with the space and turn it into a retail store one day. Mm-hmm. Um, Reed Space was pretty influential in our... Um, rest in and, peace. Yeah, rest in peace, Reed Space. But yeah. way back before Reed Space ran all the way from Orchard to Allen Street and took that whole unit up, you would enter on Orchard and it would only go about halfway. And then the other half was their design studios. Mm-hmm. And so when we took that space in Allen, I was like, oh, you know what we could do? We could just set up retail here we're here every day we're working we could just put some clothes up and people could come by and if someone walks in i'll stand up and yeah sell some clothes and then go back to work and so we're like well how much money do we have because we you know every penny that we had was going back into production and yon's like i think i can maybe round up five thousand bucks and i said cool i think i can do the same and this is the beginning of 2009 where we're like all right we're gonna build out a retail store with ten thousand dollars um and i guess he went back to the bay and met up with kia for lunch and they were talking and johan's telling him about how we might be opening up this it would have been the worst retail store in the world ten thousand dollars that would have been bad (laughs) um (laughs) and kia said you know why don't we do self-edge new york together and i remember johan called me minutes after leaving uh his lunch with Kia. And from that conversation until opening day, I believe it was nine weeks. Either seven or nine weeks. It's it's been a while. Um and we were able to move that quickly because I was eyeing the space that we have now in Orchard. Right. We could never afford it. Um but I used to really like seeing for rent signs and calling the number and pretending like we could afford it just so I knew what the going rate was yeah and i knew street easy totally yeah and 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 i and i knew that the rent had dropped about 1500 bucks over the past two years it'd gone unrented for a while it was unoccupied this whole time so i found out i brought it back and we started talking we're like can we do this you know how are we going to get a hold of enough stock to open up the store can we you know what about the fixtures right and um because all the metal work in that shop is is custom you know we we had a metal worker that had a studio next to the san francisco store build it all out for us and somehow it happened that we opened we opened at the end of July 2009 and that i remember you blew up because there was that new york times write up on mm-hmm. you guys and there was again i mean back to the earlier trend of every like the larger sort of fashion world is trying to do the whole buy less buy better and like you know self edge and 316 basically nail on the head is the, the exact type thing of like top quality denim stuff that fades over time um you know that if you take care of it'll take care of you you guys were the i think you had brought a sewing machine over um 
what was it? The yeah, Union? Well, yeah, we have the Union Special um, Chain Stitch Machine. So that's the machine that uh, old jeans that you'd find in vintage shops. Yeah. Old Levi's. Um, they, they would be hemmed on that. And they would produce, when they, when they aged, they would produce this really unique, you can see it here. Um, it kind of just, it looks like a rope. The chain stitch? Yeah. The chain stitch would kind of torque this hem. And uh, over time, it would fade and look like a rope. And vintage people go nuts over it when they see that in a shop. And we wanted to provide that same detail. It's the same uh, machine that you'd find in Japanese denim stores. You know, shops in Japan were the first to start hunting. And they're American the machines, they're, right? They're American machines. They're, yeah. they're out of production now. So yeah. they're hard to come by, um, especially in, in good working condition. So we had one of those, just like the San Francisco store. And then a few months after that, we, uh, we got a, a Singer 43W40 darning machine. And the darning machine is a repair machine that is also no longer in production. And it, it reweaves new denim into your crotch holes because when you're buying a good pair of jeans, they're worth repairing. And, you know, people, by and large, today don't repair jeans because they only no, cost just, 20 to $30. Exactly. You might as well chuck them and buy a new pair. Yeah. Um, but we had that. And I remember maybe two or three months after we got that machine, uh, my buddy Gian, um, who just started at Complex, hit me up. He's like, I heard about this machine. I was like, yeah, it's pretty cool. <laughs> I'm like learning how to use it. He's like, I'm coming over to make a video. <laughs> and he came over with a video crew and made a video of me repairing, um, repairing jeans. And uh, it was weird because years later, I was at a trade show in, in Berlin called Bread and Butter. Mm-hmm. And I was at our booth showing 316. And this Italian guy walks by and points at me and says, you fix jeans. And I was like, what the heck? I guess a lot of people watch this video. Yeah. I mean, because I think that's one thing that you guys don't get enough credit for is that at least 316 in the whole um, like blogger days and, you know, trying to do cool sort of web production. 316, I think, was the first company and brand to not only recognize like other like younger contributors and things like that, but to you know, hire them and to get them to make good content. I mean, you guys did a video series. I met, you know, you guys did uh, way before all these other companies thought to pioneer this medium, you know, and now everyone does a video series, but this is like 2000, you know, nine, 10, and you guys are making videos explaining how you're doing your stuff. And I think for me, it clicked. And because, yeah, I mean, if you, if you are an uneducated consumer or just an everyday consumer right not like you're stupid you just don't think like that you don't think that you know i can buy these jeans or um you know or learning about japanese denim or the people behind it and i think you guys were one of the first ones to really wear that on your sleeve of that you know yeah we're two guys yeah we're starting a business this is how important it is to us and let us tell you more about it and you know i think it was that attitude that kind of paved the way for all, all these other businesses going forward I think we've actually really tried to keep that mindset. Um, the way that we execute it may change over time, but I think it's still important for us as a brand to give you as much information as you want to absorb. Um, if you want jeans that fit well, then we're going to really help you figure that out and provide enough information on our website and also via email. And now, you know, we have measurements. A, yeah, measurements and, <laughs> yeah. and you know, uh, measuring guides, how to measure your jeans and. Mm-hmm. Um, we launched, uh, unsand fries jeans about a year and a half, two years ago. And, uh, I think there really wasn't any definitive resource online that walked you through the process of why do you need to soak certain jeans? How should you soak them? What should you expect when you soak them? What kind of shrinkage will come out of it? You know, and, and, and all that kind of stuff. So we worked with our web designer to create this little interactive guide. Do I know how many people have looked at it? No, but I do know that if you're on our website and you need to know more, there's this really beautiful step-by-step thing, this tutorial that you can kind of go through. But if you don't care, you don't have to look at it, you know? Yeah. Um, and then, you know, recently, we you know, this uh, past October, we opened up a retail store in LA. So, you know, even in that and the way that the shop is laid out, the way that we staff it and the way that we interact with our customers, that same ethos is there. You want to come in and look at stuff and try things on? It's there for you. You want to learn more about the brand? You know, it's there for you. If you want to, if you need to know more information, super detailed information about our product, our guys are there for you too. So, yeah. And I think, you know, again, this was a lot of stuff that a lot of businesses weren't. It's not that 
businesses weren't doing customer service beforehand, but I think the kind of transparent attitude and, and, you know, politeness towards things of just like, yeah, oh, it's okay that you don't know how to do this. Like when I walked in the store earlier, there was a guy who was like, um, what, if I wanted to get these again, what are they, how would I call them? Are they slim fit? And, you know, you could easily, you know, make fun of the dude, laugh at the guy like, oh, but no, your guys were like, oh, you know, you would get this type of jean. This is the SL. You know, I think he was getting a pair of 316s and he was looking at all the other stuff. And I was like, yeah, this is what good retail is. It's a this relationship. It's this learning experience you have because I don't know who that guy is, but I guarantee you that, that good of an experience, he's going to come back and continue buying more and tell other people about it. Yeah, I think Johan and I learned a lot about um, retail and customer service from, uh, from Kia, our partner who opened up San Francisco. The way he opened up SelfEdge was by... Because um, Kia was a big message board guy from yes, back in the day. Exactly. Big super future. Yeah. That's exactly where I was going. Oh, sorry. There was a, no, 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 no. It's good. It's good that you knew that too because he was an active participant on uh, Super Future's uh, denim section. It was called Super Denim. Yeah. He, everybody knew he, he was an avid fan, you know, consumer, collector, and he was participating in conversations about denim well before he opened the store. Mm-hmm. And when he did, it kind of became this safe place that people could come and see and experience stuff in real life that, you know, previously you'd have to buy it through Rakuten and maybe it would show up. And if it did show up and it didn't fit, you were out of luck. You'd probably have to try and sell it to nobody (laughs) who in America is like trying to buy these unheard of jean brands um, and you were stuck. And he created this place where you could come and learn and try stuff on and just hang out. And, uh, and I think that when we opened up New York, part of my experience with New York retail, which you can completely relate to, is that you can sometimes get super ice cold service. Yes. And, and that's sometimes on purpose. I get that that's a conscious decision in many cases. Right. Um, I just didn't want our store to be that kind of place. Um, I didn't want it to be the type of place where you come in. It's already intimidating enough when you walk in and there's just a sea of denim. You don't never heard of any of these brands. They all look the same. <laughs> um, <laughs> And uh, you just, you walk in and, and it feels like high-end retail in the worst possible way. You just, you're kind of frozen with indecision and you don't want to, you know, as silly as it sounds, you don't want to trouble the staff. Like, sure. You don't want to inconvenience them or well, something. it's like, oh, I don't want to ask you this question. I bet you've had to answer it a million times, you know. And yeah, absolutely. And, and I've experienced it. You've experienced it. Mm-hmm. And I didn't want that to be the case for people when they, you know, when they came in and visited our shop. And uh, so by the way that we've hired, um, the way that we've trained staff, and also just by their general demeanor, we've tried to bring people uh, on board that would make others feel comfortable. And I remind them of that, and they, they kind of push each other too. Just like, hey, every person coming in, it could be their absolute first time, and uh, it's already awkward enough for them. So our job is to disarm that situation make them feel comfortable, make them feel welcome. And uh, look, this is a fact about retail. If you're in retail, you'll understand what I'm talking about here. A lot of times these purchases aren't even about the product. Yeah. The people that are coming into your store are there for any number of reasons. And if we can serve them by giving them a good experience and having them leave feeling good about themselves, I mean, that's, that's one of the best parts of doing what we do. Right. So, I mean... Yeah, sometimes they really legitimately are here to buy a pair of jeans. You give them what they need, you pay for it, and they go. That's fine. But then there's sometimes people who come in who just have never really known how to find a good pair of jeans, or they don't know what fits them well. Yeah. And you're able to serve them in that way and have them leave feeling like, man, I've never worn jeans that look this good on me. And they're stoked. Yeah. Um, and you know what? That's good business. But I, I think a lot of us do retail for more than just good business so that's true otherwise we'd work at zara or something right <laughs> yeah maybe <laughs> maybe not yeah actually i kind of hate zara i don't even know why i mentioned <laughs> that but they just make a lot of money um so you have a retail store that you just opened up in yep. la yeah that's a 316 specific store that one you know we, yeah because is, is there is a self-edge la as well yep that one is one year younger than new york so that would be six years old wow so how is i mean you were just out there. I saw in your your Instagram and stuff like that. Is there 
plans for other 316 stores, but and why LA as the first one? So half of our company is in, more than half of our company is in LA. Okay. Our warehouse is there. Johan's based there, and we have five team members out there as well. And uh, that's been the case for a long time. 316 has been by Coastal since pretty much the beginning. Right. Johan was out in school there. Then he graduated and, you know, started working working with us, you know, full-time from L.A. And so it's a big part of our brand's identity as well. Um, people might not know that, but, you know, our, our, our warehouse is in a building in the Arts District. And uh, about eight months ago, nine months ago, mm-hmm. Johan noticed that the, the, the street-level retail space had come up for lease. Um, it had previously belonged to uh, another business that I guess never really got it off the ground. Mm-hmm. And uh, as soon as it popped up, he uh, he'd mentioned it to me, and we started talking about it. Um, I think we picked, we ended up moving forward on that spot one because of convenience. It's in the exact same building as our warehouse space, so um, as far as staffing goes and restocks and whatnot, it, it makes it really simple. Um, we love the neighborhood. Um, it would be the part of Los Angeles where we would have wanted to open a retail store at some point anyways. Yeah. And uh, I don't know. It just uh, it seemed like a good risk for us to take. Um, I always thought that New York would have been the first, um, the first place to do a retail store. But it's not like we walked into 2016 saying we're definitely opening a store this year. <laughs> the situation was right. Um, we bit off uh, a lot. And uh, I, I don't know... I'm not going to say it was more than we can chew, but it was definitely a lot more involved than than we originally anticipated. Right. But I think that it ended up with a store that exceeded what our original expectations for a 316 retail store would have been. Yeah, I mean, um, from the pictures, it looks incredible. It looks really nice. Thank you. Yeah, we uh, we worked with this great design agency called Homeschool. And for me to even say that, like, I don't know, call me <laughs> ignorant, but I thought, yeah, you know, we we both like nice things. We could you know, scrape something together. Yeah. Um, but for us to be able to work with um, uh, a, a design agency that we can kind of tell them the overall vision and like, these are, this is what we want you to feel when you come into the store. And mm-hmm. this is the type of experience we want to deliver. And then for them to translate that into fixture, lighting, environmental design, you know, customer flow. Um, and it's a small space. It's 600 square feet. So you've got to make very, very good use of every inch of square footage. Right. Um, uh, it, was, it was definitely a lot more than, you know, in retrospect, than we would have been able to do on our own. So we were very fortunate to have that. We had some really good local builders that helped build out all of our fixtures. And, uh, yeah, we ended up with a space that we're really proud of. Nice. So there's a couple other stuff I want to run you about. Uh, 316, the name. Um, I know that you've you're pretty open about this too, but I mean it it comes from biblical references, right? Of John three sixteen. I mean, I know, and the the genes. What does it say? Like the last shall be first. It's somewhere in there. Yeah, I don't know. Um, or in, on the in the back, on like the inside of the tag. Yeah, I think um, it's on. Yeah, it might be on the, what, the pocket bag. Like for me, and and I'm open about this. I'm I am a, a Christian, but I'm not like as soon as I said that word just now, I I kind of jerked back a bit because. For myself, like, I'm, I don't like being associated with what everyone else thinks of when they think of Christian, like when the, the rest of the world. And so I am, I'm more of like, yeah, I'm a guy whom I really like the Bible. I really like trying to understand what it means to have a relationship with Jesus or what does that even translate to. Um, but it's really hard for me to understand that now. And the older I've gotten, you know, my dad's a pastor and stuff the more questions I've had. And for you to put that on your business is, I think, a a really cool example of, like, the person that you are in the sense that you, yeah, you've always kind of, you know, worn your heart on your sleeve and, 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 you know, who you are on it. But, like, what kind of inspired that? Um, If I want to be very real, I think it might have just, I don't know, uh, being a little naive. Um, When we... When, when the company was started, I, none of us had any idea of where it was going to be, how big it was going to get, right. what would happen. Um, but we just had this very simple vision of wanting to build a brand that could speak to people. 
um, beyond simply the products that we made. And yeah, years ago, at this point, I'm pretty comfortable with it. Right. Uh, but years ago, I, I, I thought to myself, would we have done better for ourselves had we just named it something super obscure? And, um, and, and I don't know the answer, um, but I am really thankful that we didn't. Um, I, I know that there are probably more people that I don't know about that might have been turned off to the brand because of, of uh, its faith reference. Sure. Um, just they just never got around to cursing me out about it. Um, it's happened only once at a trade show where someone who found out about the brand name's origin and said, "I can't carry that." Um, the question comes up more often than not because the retailers that we work with are, um, for the most part, small and independent, and they're the ones that are going to be talking to customers and selling the product. So they want to know. Yeah, you know, maybe that maybe it took them a season or two to kind of start wondering. Yeah, but, but it's event, not like... inevitably, yeah, it, it comes up, and and I don't think it's too hard to find if you if you dig around for it. Um, but there are definitely customers who it took years for them to to, to figure it out. Yeah, I mean, I don't think I knew at first. Yeah, people um, are like, "Is that an area code or something?" <laughs> like, yeah, what's three one? Yeah, three sixteen. Um, or 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 whatever, and and some don't care, and and that's fine. And then there's others that care. You know what? You know what was really cool is that uh, you could probably look it up somewhere uh, on on Reddit two years ago. Someone put this like expose thread up in, about three sixteen, saying like, "Guys, I just found out they're Christians, and they've just been like fleecing us this entire time." <laughs> and as soon as I kind of saw the general vibe of that original post, I was like, "Okay, this is Reddit. Mm-hmm. I definitely know where this is going." Yeah, and I was wrong. Oh, I was completely wrong. Um, I think, uh, maybe two or three people were on some, like, I'm never buying anything from them again. Um, I can't believe they lied to me like that. I'm like, no one lied to you. Yeah. Um, you weren't, and you guys don't have tracks in the back pocket when no. you buy the gene or any stuff like that. It's no. just, it's, it by I, no means you do that in any way. What it means to Johan and me is that we want people, if they care to know, um, we want them to know why we try really hard at what we do. Um, and if you don't care or want to know, that's fine. If the jeans are a tool for you to have your legs covered with something nice, that, that's fine. And, and we're here for you for that. Right. But um, there are plenty of reasons to try very hard at what you do. I get that. There's a lot of different motivations out there. And there's plenty of reasons to be upfront and honest with your business uh, to the best of your ability, mm-hmm. to treat others with respect, to pay your bills on time. Um, but for us, um, the motivating factor for that is our faith in God. And, and that's why it's there. It's, it's, it's there. If you ever want to come up to us and talk with us about it or tell us that you disagree, mm-hmm. um, that's what it's there for. Um, and just to create dialogue if, if you want to. Um, but coming back to this Reddit thread, I was like, this is not going to go over well. And um, I was very pleasantly surprised. And a lot of people kind of came in and said, you know, I may not believe in what they believe in, but I, I respect that they have a stance on something. Yeah. And, you know, I met one of them at some event and they were super nice to me and they didn't have to take the time to chat with me and they did. Um, and, and I appreciated that. Or it was, uh, you know, very basic stuff like, you know, for you to come out and say that there is no God is also a faith assumption as well. I was like, damn. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That was sick. So, um, yeah, it was just the general hostility got taken down very quickly. That's great. And, um, and I think that that's something that Johan and I have worked really hard towards is to uh, create a product that is moving towards excellence. And I don't know if you know, we can ever say that it's excellent in the most true sense, but yeah. we're trying. You know, every every change that we've ever made to our gene, which we've continued to produce over the past seven years has been to try and make it better. Right. Um, we've, you know, about four years ago, we made the move to start producing custom fabric, um, with, uh, Kuroki. Mm-hmm. And that was a pretty, pretty huge and risky move for us. Um, but we did it because we felt like we could offer a better end product. And we're still looking at every production run, trying to identify, points of failure um and uh 
develop, deliver rather, a better product. Um, so if we're working towards excellence, then hopefully that'll give us a platform to talk to people about what we care about um, if you want to. Right. I mean, I think a, a good way to kind of explain some of this stuff too is people talk about C.S. Lewis and Tolkien, right? And both of those guys were buddies. And C.S. Lewis was like, oh, I'm going to basically use my art to communicate my faith. And Tolkien was like, whatever, dude, I have faith and I'm just going to make art. And, you know, it's going to shape who I am will shape what I do. And I think that's that's such an easier and I wouldn't even say easier. But to me, I think it's so true as to what like people are like. I think we need both of those, though, yeah. you know, and, and, and maybe our hope, because when Johan and I were growing up, I don't think that we saw too many Tolkens in our lives. Right. Right. And, and, and there just weren't um, people that we met along the way that were um, very um, good at what they did creatively and were also outspokenly and unabashedly Christian as well. Um, and so, yeah, some of that. Some of some of the naive beginning goals were just, hey, if we can start a conversation with people um, about what we care about, that would be cool. But we're only going to get there if we don't suck, right? <laughs> yeah. um, but the other thing is, you know, maybe there's somebody out there who does believe in what we believe in, just doesn't really, has never really seen a way to marry their passions um, or their artistic desires in life with, um, with faith, right? Um, I, I think growing up in, in church, you either... Uh, go into full-time church work, mm-hmm. right? And that's now you're like at another level. You dedicated your life to it. Yeah. Or you exist to make money to support that work. Right. Um, and there was nothing in between. Um, I am happy to to report back that there is an in-between, you know, and we've met a lot of really cool people along the way of, I don't know, many, even many different faith backgrounds, but what they believe in is important to them and also what they want to do um, in life, even if it might not be a, um, a standard career path, um, is also achievable. Right. Um, and so, yeah, I, I, think that, I think that if that's the... And, and I know that this is happening because we get emails from people and they're like, you know, I've been buying your stuff for a while and just only recently discovered that we believe in the same thing and just wanted to say that was cool. Right on. Um, which is very, very rewarding. Yeah. Yeah. That's cool. And, and you know, as, as far as faith goes, I, when, we, when we first met, I, I think you mentioned to me that you had this blog, Start With Typewriters, <laughs> which has made a cameo um, on, uh, on this podcast before. Yeah. And uh, uh, full disclosure, I looked up the domain to see if I could find the blog, and it's been... It was... Well, what happened is... disappeared into I, for, I forgot to pay my media temple bills. <laughs> You guys remember Media Temple, that, that junk? <laughs> they're still around them. Yeah, they're they making are. money. I, I guess they are, but, you know, I, I, I think I owed them like $400 to keep <laughs> my site up. And I was like, I don't have $400. And then it was gone. And I do regret uh, that it's gone. Cause Wouldn't you like to know what it was like to be you when you'd first moved to New York City? I mean, I kept a, a oh, you, oh, you got journal. It? No, no, I kept a, like an actual journal, like a physical one. Okay. Um, but I had a live journal, too, I think, at one point. Because I remember I got into a fight with the woman at McDonald's down at, on, on Delancey because she would only give me um, one sweet and sour sauce for <laughs> one six-pack of chicken McNuggets. And I wanted, like, four. Yeah. And I also wanted them for my fries, too. And she's like, no, you only get one per six-pack or you have to buy them. They're, like, 50 cents each. And I was so mad. You, you went right home and live journaled it. I did. I was pre-Yelp. I was like, get this. I was like, why is chicken, you know, why is this the gateway to sweet and sour? Yeah, I remember that. No, but I mean, what I was remembering is like after we had met, I was like, all right, well, you know, this is what we do these days, right? Is, you know, yeah. we stalk each other afterwards. And, uh, and you wrote a post about your tattoo. Oh, Do you remember yeah. that? You remember that? I do remember that. And I remember it being extremely real. And I was like, I like this guy. Yeah. Um, because I don't think that you know, many speak openly about just, I don't know, the struggles or the doubt that, that come with it. Or even sometimes you, you talked about how you cringe a little bit about, you know, the reaction that might come from expressing that you believe in God because 
especially after this election and you know a lot of what's come of it yeah um calling yourself or you know associating yourself with the term evangelical christian is super dicey exactly and you can't just go and say that i mean i almost feel like you got to leave you know bring qualifying statements to go with it too i totally believe you and i mean it's in in some ways not um totally but i you know it makes you also empathize for people of other faiths in which there are extremists of you know other faiths and you know and if you say oh I'm a Muslim, and someone's like, "Oh, are you a terrorist?" Right. You know, which is just the bigotry of that is is crazy. But and you know, it's just like someone, you know, if we're I getting like someone, a little taste of what that is, right? yeah, you just know? a teeny taste, you know. And I will tell someone I'm a Christian, they automatically think that, "Oh, I'm pro this, pro this, pro this, and that." And it's like, no, I mean, actually, I'm just trying to like, I'm just trying to figure out my life, man. Yeah. I mean, still to this day, like I, I have no idea <laughs> what I'm doing. You know, and uh, yeah. it's it's more of just trying to figure out what my roots are. And I think for me, it's just if if I can gut check against this, then it, it just helps me move forward more. But by no means for myself do I have it all together. I mean, I know plenty of other people who are way better and nicer people than I am. They don't have any faith at all. So yeah. <laughs> I, I don't yeah. know. I mean, everybody just wants to be heard or to be able to have a conversation about anything. Yeah. Right. And so. Um, my hope is that if you're really super against what the term Christian is, then let's talk about, you know, let me, let me go get a coffee with you and let's talk about it. I can tell you what I'm doing better at and what I'm pretty horrible at. And right. <laughs> I don't mind. Um, but it's been good. It's honestly been really good. Um, and so I don't think that our, our faith or our faith declaration has really held us back in terms of um clearly we, not no uh, yeah. and and if it did um then it it should uh make us think about our definition of success too mm-hmm. right and 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 so year over year we're doing better and that's definitely something to be thankful for but if we weren't um i don't think there'd be some existential crisis where we'd have to go back to the drawing board about who we are what we stand for and what we represent right you know maybe we're just maybe we need to start <laughs> making sweatpants or something i don't know <laughs> sweatpants are dope <laughs> i wear them at home yeah <laughs> all right well this was a ton of fun thank you so much for coming on you are the guy no thank you for having me i had a lot of fun um and uh i don't know yeah we've we've both seen a lot come and go in new york city in these past couple of years so yep uh, it's kind of it's kind of fun to look back on it yeah well is there any other last stuff you want to mention or plug before we wrap up Absolutely not. (laughs) (laughs) Sounds good. All right. I'll see you. Thanks, Jeremy. Bye. You've been listening to Blamo, a podcast with an exclamation point. If you like what you heard, leave a review on iTunes. It goes a long way. Subscribe and listen to new and archive episodes on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, wherever you listen to podcasts. Be sure to check out the new site at blamopod.com. And if you want to get in touch, send me an email at jeremy at blamopod.com. Thanks a lot, and we'll see you next week.